This is the Horse Radio Network. This week, we're talking to a top-notch farrier on what it takes to care for top-level horses' hooves, barefoot or shod. We'll also hear from our Heels Down Spark Award photography and writing winners. And in case you were wondering, no, you really shouldn't ingest your horse's dewormer. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome Welcome to Happy Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wozniaka. Welcome to episode 90 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. How's it going? That, that was like overly cheerful for me, I feel. <laughs> well, hey, you're just coming off a really great horse show. So you're, you am. should be cheery. I'm riding the high, riding the high. All right. And speaking of a really great horse show, I mean, Doug just got back from the Olympics. How's everything yeah. going on the farm? Good, good. We're here. We've already horse showed again and all was <laughs> good. So everything's been good. So can't really complain getting back into the swing of what is supposed to be normal and what we considered normal while he was gone. Nice. Amazing. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Eagle Gold. And this is a really exciting time if you're an Eagle Gold fan, because for the next four weeks, they'll be giving away pads. If you want to win an awesome prize, you should be paying attention every week on Instagram on Tuesday. EcoGold will announce the details of their next giveaway, and they want to share in your successes. And so this is also going to be tied to EcoGold launching a brand new product. I wonder if you can guess what it is. So again, turn into Instagram every Tuesday to get the details for the giveaway, and you can visit ecogold.ca for more information about EcoGold and their saddle pads. So guys, I've got a fun drink for you guys this week. Apple Prosecco Punch. So 400 milliliters of apple juice, 200 milliliters of vodka. You juice two lemons, or if you're lazy like me, you just buy the already juiced lemon and you just squirt it in (laughs) the cup. Um, 750 milliliters of Prosecco ice, one green apple cored and finely sliced. And then you can slice up a lemon as well. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to pour everything into the punch bowl, except for your fruit. And you're going to chill it for one to two hours. Then when you're ready to serve it, you're going to add your Prosecco, your ice, your apple and your lemon slices, and then you're going to serve it. That sounds so good. This sounds really good. This is right up my alley. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, this is totally my kind of drink. I'm all about fruity. (laughs) All right, Jess, what do you got for news? I have a sad one. I'm sure a lot of people have seen, but I just want to kind of touch on it. So we're wrapping up with an amazing Olympics with, honestly, I woke up at 4 a.m. most mornings to watch everything, which was super fun. And one of my favorite horses in the show jumping, like I think a bunch of you guys is, was the Clooney 51 of Martin Fuchs horse. And sadly it got home safe and sound. And then in the paddock, it slipped and ended up having a shoulder injury. And it's actually at the hospital in Switzerland trying to get better in the Zurich hospital, but they're just hoping that it's going to get better enough to pull through to just be on field retirement. So it's super sad. I mean, it's a horse that 
it was like a favorite of everybody's. I watched it go personally at the World Games in Tryon and fell in love with it. It's won tons and tons of five stars. It's won the European Championships in 19. It was good in Tokyo. And just to kind of have like that gut-riching, like it had such a good seasons and career ahead of it that it can happen to anybody in such a short time. It's just so sad. So it was a little bit surreal kind of just to watch all of that. And then for Martin to like post on his social media that now they're just trying to make sure it keeps going and to be sound enough for retirement is just kind of heartbreaking. So super sad that it kind of just hits home that it can happen to basically anybody. And it's super, super sad. I think you hit it the nail on the head that it's just, I mean, what a, what a nightmare scenario, like come home from Tokyo, the horse is out in the field, finally gets time to relax. And this happens and you're right. It could happen to anyone at any time, you know, Ugh. I'm really so fingers sad. crossed so, for fingers crossed. They pull through and he can get it sound enough for retirement and the horse just keeps fighting. So, but long story, it's just sad and everybody hug their ponies. Yeah. All right, Ellie, what about you? All right. So I've got a little something that's going to lift us up a little bit. And we've talked about some of this stuff on the podcast before, but I found this really interesting article about horses having a good memory, which I think that every horse person can agree with to a certain extent. You know, horses always pick up well on patterns. You know, I mean, they all know when you walk into the barn in the morning, right, that they're going to get fed. But they looked at specifically one facial recognition. So being able to identify different faces and which one they have a preference to. And they said that horses are among one of like the top animals that are actually able to tell the difference between identical twins, which was really interesting to me. And I'm just kind of paraphrasing the article because it, it goes into more detail. So you should definitely check it out. But it also talked about like, even though a caregiver had not give like seen the horse in six months, it would choose a caregiver that it, you know, had had a longer relationship with over the more recent caregiver, which I thought was really interesting just because I've noticed it with this Appaloosa I have here for retirement. His mom came to visit before she went back to vet school and he like lit up, was like nickering with her. And it was so cute because he's this, you know, 28 year old, old fart, you know, and it was just really cool to see her interact with him. And it's cool to know that they do actually recognize us, especially when we uh, reward them with treats. <laughs> Aww, that's good to know. I want them. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's kind of validating to know that about them. Oh, for sure. So Justine, I'm, you have some advice for us? Yeah. Don't drink ivermectin. That's my advice for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, uh, a list of things to do. You know, that's a drink for next week. Oh my gosh. Well, so I was curious about this. Obviously I work in the news, which is an interesting place to be at this time in our lives, but I was at tractor supply, I don't know, a week ago or so picking up random things and there's this new sign in front of the, the shelf with all the dewormers on it that says, warning, <laughs> these deworming products are made for animals and they are not safe for human consumption. And also that the sign was warning about a shortage of them because people have decided that ivermectin, ivermectin 
could be a treatment for coronavirus, which is not exactly true. So I, I know it could be difficult to find reliable news these days in the age of the internet, but so there's not really a straight answer here in that there was a study published in Australia claiming that ivermectin could be used to kill the coronavirus within 48 hours when used in very large doses in laboratory settings. And their ivermectin is used in some human treatments when you you know when it comes to treating parasitic worms or something like scabies or even extreme cases of lice. But the ivermectin products that are made for animals are not safe for humans. So people should not be like in, like mixing the two at all in any sense. So there are people out there who are going to farm supply stores like your corner feed store or tractor supply or anything like that and buying ivermectin thinking that it's a way to treat COVID-19 and that is just not true. And also that study published in Australia is a little bit concerning ethically and there have been some other questionable studies like it that were actually withdrawn over ethical concerns so basically the consensus is please don't take your horses dewormer if you're worried about having (laughs) COVID-19 the best thing would be to go get a test and to see a medical professional not a vet probably a human doctor is, is your best bet so But I'm curious. I don't know if you guys are seeing similar signs in your own tractor supply stores by you guys, but I I was really, really surprised to see that on the shelves here. Like that that tractor supply even felt like they had to put a sign up. Are you guys seeing that? I have to go to the front desk and say, I need this many tubes of ivermectin and they won't let you get more than, I can't remember what the cutoff was, but I remember I'm like, look, I have six horses and I need six tubes of ivermectin. Like, and, and did they like, let you buy it? I had to go back twice, I think. But this was also, you know, in the heat of it. Heat of it I now. don't know. I've ordered online. Now I'm like making me nervous. Like I've not seen it in the stores, but I'm probably like, I just do my warming schedule by like this calendar I have and stuff. But now I'm like worried that like this next month I'm going to be on ivermectin and not be able to get it for my 20 something horses. (laughs) It was crazy. I can't believe that they had to put the sign up, but like the shelf, I've not seen it. I haven't gone to a lot of stores lately, but I'm going to have to look if I go to tractor supply next. Yeah. It's a wild world we live in guys. Right. So maybe hoard, hoard your ivermectin. Hoard it. Keep it in the barn. Oh my goodness. So shout out to everybody who's helped us out on Patreon. We really appreciate everybody who's donated to help us continue this podcast. We like enjoying hanging out with each other and bringing you guys what we think are some funny and interesting stories. If you want to donate, go ahead and go to patreon.com slash heels down. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash heels down. So guys, I have a special guest today. It is our farrier, Matt Kogan. He has been shoeing horses for 24 years. He actually started in California and then moved to South Carolina where we met he and his wife and his daughter. And that's where he's been shoeing us for almost six years now. So welcome, Matt. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So before we get started, everybody kind of wants to hear about you. So I've taught Matt a little bit because he has horses and he rides himself, his wife rides and he shoes for us. He's kind of like an all around person. So tell us a little bit about, you know, how you kind of got started and everything. 
Well, I guess same as you guys. I eat, drink, and breathe horses. I started shoeing immediately out of college. The idea was to find a career to get work on a master's degree. And the master's degree never happened. I fell in love with horseshoeing, and I've been doing it ever since. And I've been living in Aiken for about 12 years now, and happy there. So when we, yeah, we met Matt when he was in Aiken, and we've actually, we make him still come up to North Carolina and shoe all of our horses because he's done such an amazing job. We just, honestly, we're like begging him, like, please, can you just drive a couple days, you know, twice a month to come up here and shoe all the horses? So he's, and the kind of weird one is, is that he does, Quinn's been great and he's been awesome. He went to the Olympics and everything else, but he's not an easy horse to shoe. So we were kind of, you know, moving in April. How are we going to change everything? And Matt was grateful and decided to come with us. And so Matt, tell all the listeners how it's like to kind of shoe for Quinn and, you know, how he is a bit different than most others. Well, I'll tell you, uh, Quinn has been a little bit of stress in my life (laughs) for the last five years or so to the point now where we've made it through the Olympics and I don't know what to stress about anymore (laughs) now that that is behind us. Uh, Quinn is a wonderful horse and, and just has always been a little bit of a challenge to shoe him. He, he has uh, what we call a high, high low syndrome, which is simply where a horse has one foot that's at a really low angle and another foot, uh, and we're specifically talking about his front feet. And then the other front foot is a uh, more upright, more uh, average hoof angle. So that, that's really what we deal with with Quinn is, is the high-low syndrome. But tell everybody, so we were losing shoes and he was ripping all the soles. And we tried when we go places like to even do a glue kind of the back so that he wouldn't rip off his foot. And what was it, about a year ago we switched was he in the two glues and then we moved to the one, but now he basically, for the listeners, he's in the front shoes specifically. He's in one is a nail on like a normal shoe and the other one we've left a glue on. So when we went to all of the training sessions and stuff and the farriers for the teams were looking at him, we're like, look, we know this looks weird, but we are, we can't change this. So tell them a little bit about like, you know, our fear of like all that and why, why you kind of came about doing the one glue on ended up. I think because we were scared to yeah, change, yeah. honestly. Well, it, it is extremely unique. And and uh, I, I sort of thought we, we had sort of accepted that Quinn was going to lose his uh, right front shoe every time he was doing a big course. It just seemed like it happened every single time he was out on cross country. He would lose his right front shoe. And his right front foot is the foot with the more upright angle. It's It's, it's the more... Uh, correct angle foot and he just had a habit of stepping on that shoe no matter how short we fit him and he would lose that shoe over and over we actually went to the glue on shoes with the hopes that we can give him a more upright angle on a slopey foot which is the left front foot and we were able to do that it took several shoeings and eventually Quinn had an upright left front foot And as soon as we were high-fiving and congratulating each other on making Quinn have a nice, beautiful pair of feet, Quinn was not so happy on his left front foot and let us know. And we had tried several ideas 
see what we can do to to help him feel better on that left front foot. And eventually what we did was we went back to the way we used to shoe him on that left front foot, which is a standard horseshoe with a, a, a rim pad, a leather rim pad. And the reason we only changed one shoe, the only the reason we only changed the left front is because Doug was so happy that we weren't losing our right front shoe anymore on our cross country course <laughs> that he said, don't change anything on that. And so we didn't. And we have probably the most unique shod horse that's ever gone to the Olympics when <laughs> has a glued on aluminum shoe on his right front foot. And he has a more normal shoe nailed onto his left front foot. That's hysterical. It is. And it, and, and, uh, we just have to say it, it really works for him. And Quinn kind of lets us know what he likes and what he doesn't like. And this suits him just fine. So I've got a question for on the topic of Olympics and, you know, different types of horses. So the Swedish show jumping team made a lot of headlines because not only because of their gold finish, but because, you know, two of their three horses were completely barefoot, which I mean, in my experience from watching Grand Prix, it's pretty unusual at that level. Why is that so unusual? Yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, the people are conditioned to put shoes on their horses. To be honest, I, I feel a lot of the times when I shoe a horse and the, the customers deciding between do they want their horse shot or do they want it barefoot, that when we decide to put shoes on, we're actually putting shoes on for the customer and not for the horse itself. Uh, I just really believe, you know, those of us who have been around horses for decades and decades, we're so conditioned that horses need to have shoes, specifically if they're going to jump around big horses, that, that that's where we're at. We just, we just believe that's the way it is and that's the way it's going to be. So I, I love the idea of, of the, uh, them them having barefoot horses and jumping around at that level it just it, it makes me happy to hear that so i guess then i my follow-up question to that would be that do you see a difference in your own personal you know shoeing practice between disciplines do you notice that a lot of the you know the western stuff is more barefoot or do you notice any change at all no no um but i will go back to quinn and when when he used to lose that right front shoe with regularity, it was always mid-course when he lost his shoe. He had no problem at all finishing the course on his bare foot, on the right front foot, when, when he would lose that shoe. It, it's an upright foot, and it has a decent amount of heel, and I think he got decent traction from those heels, and he never skipped a beat when he lost his shoes. And I just believe that, you know, a lot of horses are shod that – maybe don't need to be shod. And I think that's what the lesson we learned from this Olympics and, and the fact they were able to, uh, you know, win their medal with, with horses that didn't have shoes on. It's going to kind of open our minds and, and make us sort of start scratching our heads and thinking about that. One more cross-discipline question for you. Um, so I, okay. I, do both, <laughs> I do both English and Western. Um, and I'm curious okay. to know, if the way you trim and shoe horses is different depending on the discipline. So obviously, yeah, you know, sliding plates, right, are going to be put on sure. rangers. Sure, sure. 
But are there under, other? Yeah. Things? Well, traction would be the the main variable there. But but just to to back up and and my spiel, and I, I've been saying this for years and years. I believe as a farrier, our job is to trim the feet for two purposes. We trim for health and we trim for hygiene. And, and those two things can be thought of as the same thing. But health, we want a reasonable amount of foot. We want a nice hoof angle. We want a nice toe length. And so we we trim the foot for health and hygiene, but we apply a, sh- a shoe only for two reasons. And those two reasons are traction and for protection. So uh, the reason you might need to put a shoe on for protection is if you're in uh, footing that, that varies. For instance, uh, someone who trail rides or someone who might exercise their horse at, at the park or whatnot, you, you might need a shoe for protection. And in uh, many cases, eventing, for instance, you would need a shoe to help give you a little more traction. And those are the only reasons we put shoes on with it. So to answer your question, no, I, I don't change anything in my in my trim. Each, each horse needs to be trimmed differently for what type of foot they have. But it doesn't make a lick of difference what their discipline is. Interesting. Well, so... Matt, as someone who's an amateur owner, uh, I mean, what's something realistic that you think horse owners can do day to day to help maintain and protect their horses' hooves, knowing all this that you just discussed with us? Like, are there any products that you really believe out there? What actually works? Or just is it just picking your horses every day and being aware of, you know, what's going on? What's your advice? I believe it's routine more more than a, a specific product. There are plenty of products that, that will help a horse grow a hoof. Uh, many of your products with biotin will help your horse grow a hoof. But I'm not sure many horses need, need help with that. So I really believe it comes down to routine. And, and I'll just give you some, some examples of what we deal with in Aiken, specifically this time of year in, in July and August, is, is we have a lot of humidity and our grass just holds a lot of moisture in it. So for our horses that are that are out and get get turnout, which an awful lot of them do, uh, standing in that wet grass for any length of time can can really cause some some harm to their feet just by keeping them soft. So I really believe it. It's more about routine. It, it's it's uh, recognizing what your horse needs. But you know, uh, picking out your horse's feet and making sure it has a nice dry place to stand for, you know, at least half the day, like, you know, a stall with some bedding in it and that type of thing. Uh, I really like that. It, it, it's really a routine. I believe that helps keep the horse's hook healthy, uh, having them shod regular, for instance, uh, regular schedule, these types of things. Well, thanks Matt so much for joining us. I'm so glad you could come on and chat with all of us. It was super fun. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. I'm really excited to introduce our next guests, uh, which you might be familiar with their name already because they are a 2021 Heels Down Spark Award winner. I've got both Mede Home and Spark Spallwart, the two photographers who won the photography category of the Spark Awards this year on the show with us. 
And so just to introduce them quickly before we get rolling right into things, um, Meta is a formal national level rider who competed at the Royal on a number of occasions. And after she hung up her spurs, she picked up a camera and she is now a professional photographer with Mark, who is an award-winning photojournalist who covered breaking news, A-list concerts, and professional sports. Uh, His work has been published in books, magazines, and newspapers online in Canada and around the world. And together they run Spall at Home, Equestrian Photography in Canada. So welcome, both of you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this is really exciting. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for coming on. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank Thanks. you. Yeah, that was uh, the the Spark Award was a uh, was something else. It was right out of the blue, and it was a real it was a real fun thing to uh, to get that notification that we we're the winners of it. Very cool. It's so it's so cool to have you guys on the show to talk more about it. And so to to kick us off, obviously you're both accomplished photographers, but just curious of your backstory. Like, what made you want to uh, combine your passions of horses and photography? Thank you. That's very kind. I appreciate that. I guess it's always been our goal in the back, in the back of our minds. Uh, but I was downsized from a healthcare position in 2019, and we jumped at the opportunity. And really, we never looked back. Yeah, it seemed um, we felt that there was a there was an opening within the marketplace in Ontario or in Canada. I had uh, years of experience in 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 shooting sports and and kind of knew what. I liked in terms of, of imagery and we weren't seeing that being produced. We were seeing very similar sort of work that was uh, from when Meta used to ride. And it's just, you know, technology with equipment and, and, and camera technology, there was, there was definitely a, a place where we could go in and kind of carve out a bit of a niche. And um, so we decided to do that. And then of course, you know, pandemic came around and, made everything a little slower last year. But in, in in hindsight, it was probably the best thing for us because it was a chance for us to kind of, you know, get all those kinks out in a, you know, a half season type idea to, to go there and, and, and shoot and, and get our workflow perfected and get our style perfected. And, uh, and we've really seen the benefit of that this year. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I've got a very, I guess I would say controversial question, Um, (laughs) but online, um, especially on social media, you can see a lot of editors clearly share watermarked images on their personal accounts. What is your, your stance on this as a creative professional? And what do you really want writers who are sharing these images to know? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because there's, there's, I think there's a, a real extreme on this point. There's there's the level where people know what they're doing, and there's the level where people are innocent to doing it, and they don't know any better. I mean, it is what it is. You know, we, we name it right off the hop. It is image theft, and those watermarks are there for a reason. Meta also is a great analogy. You know, it would be like going into Winners and grabbing a Nike sweatshirt and say, but I'm, I'm advertising your brand. Of course, I'm just going to take it. So it's not quite... You know, it's, it, it doesn't work that way. So we have a very straightforward approach on it. Um, you know, it's we, we, we contact the individual. We invoice it right away, including, you know, an amount for an administration fee. We remove the images from the site immediately. If it continues to happen, we just don't 
photograph that individual anymore. And that's really rare. That's to go to that degree, that's really rare. You know, 90%, if not more, of the time people are saying, Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't know, or, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm intending on buying it, but I wanted to get it out there and want to get the feedback from people and, and these sorts of things. And, you know, hey, we understand. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. I mean, I've seen big companies do it. And, you know, so the individual rider, sometimes they don't know, sometimes they do. But at the end of the day, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's a theft of an image. And it's just something that, you know, if it, if it went unchecked, well, eventually there just wouldn't be any photographers producing anymore because they wouldn't be able to stay in business and do it. Is there like an education component to that? You know, it's just making people aware, right? Because um, I'm sure when you talk to people sometimes about that, like, hey, this, you know, this is considered stealing to some degree. I, I'm sure there are people who are like, wow, I didn't realize, like you said, right? So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah interesting. Yeah. Absol- absolutely. There's, there's a lot of that. And there's also a lot that, um, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll get the response that, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to be buying it. I'm definitely going to be downloading it myself. Or even some coaches have told me that, yeah. um, well, they want their clients to buy this specific picture because that's the, that's the best one. And the mom who, who doesn't know as much about horses and, and, um, is just, you know, getting the help from the coach when it's really, it's just as easy to share the link where the picture is hosted from. And helps them to understand how to purchase them in the future too. Gotcha. Good point. So I have a question. Like you guys talk about all the horse shows and stuff like that. Do you have a horse show or venue you like to shoot in particular? Uh, well, so so far uh, we've been shooting at Caledon Equestrian Park um, at Angelstone Tournaments. Uh, they're about forty minutes between the two of them. And in two weeks we're going to be heading up to Ottawa to cover the Trillium Champions. Uh, for at Wesley Clover Park, so we're looking forward to that. Oh, uh, that's exciting! I think like Mark has his favorites. He likes Caledon for all the rolling hills uh, that are out there. I really like what Angelstone has updated their new hunter rings. They've got cedar hedges all around it, and it's just—I can't wait till the fall. Like I'm so looking forward to it. It's been so beautiful this year. Um, and of course, I mean, future visions are like Spruce Meadows, Bromont, Blainville. Um, USA, Europe, the world, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So you guys have talked more about like professional photography. So I love to take pictures of like my kids, my horses, but like when you talk about amateur status as a rider, I am like below amateur status as a photographer. (laughs) So I do love my iPhone. I am a Apple person and stuff. So do you have any tips to get the most out of like me taking pictures on my iPhone of my horse or anything in particular? Like, should I be at a certain angle or should I just hope and pray and hope it gets better? (laughs) Um, The, um, you know what, the iPhones are fantastic. And whether it's an iPhone or a camera or whatever, one of the biggest things I always tell people who um, are just starting out and I taught photography for, for a number of years as well, is that work within the, the abilities of that particular camera. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, when, when we think about a horse show um, and your iPhone, you know, you, you naturally may want to zoom in with your phone on that jump that's close to you and that in terms of quality pictures is the worst thing you can do 
Because, of course, there's no lens on the iPhone that zooms in and out or anything like that, like on a camera. How it achieves its zoom is by reducing the, the size of the sensor, which reduces the number of pixels that are there to record that information. You are better off to leave it full wide, grab that picture of the fence that's closest to you with the horse going over it, and then even just in the editor on the phone, go in there and crop it. You'll and get then a, crop it. Yeah. You'll get okay. a better quality picture because all those pixels are there that they can feed off of one another as they go through the cropping. And then it doesn't look blurry like that. I just zoomed in and it's like over whatever shot or I don't actually know the correct words or anything, but it basically doesn't come in as a good quality picture. You're, uh, you're absolutely right on, on the blurriness and what's happening is there's just not enough pixels for it to record definition. So when, when you're using all the pixels that are, that are on that sensor and then you go and crop it through, you know, through technology that's way beyond me, um, Apple and other companies have built in that, you know, the sensors will actually take the data from the pixel next to it and incorporate it in. And so you, the more information you have to work with, the better. And then the other thing that's really cool with iPhones is if you're looking at someone and if you just tap, if you've got the person in the picture and you, you tap that person's nose on your camera with your finger, that now becomes the focus point and the exposure point for the camera. So if they're really in a shadow, you tap it, you'll see that they're, they will become exposed and everything else comes a little bit brighter. Or if they're really, really bright and you tap it, the exposure will adjust. But it also adjusts the focus point. I so did that's learn that even in video when I'm videoing on course, like if I'm videoing around, cause I probably do that more yeah. than pictures that yeah. that's what, if it's daylight kind of weird, especially try on, uh, we go to a lot where the sun's kind of coming up at a weird angle or whatever. And it's like super bright or super dark in that arena. I yeah. did learn that if you tap on that video while I'm taking it, it does uh, like tap the horse like you're talking, then it does help. And that was a huge, huge tip that I think my husband told me, or I found out by trial and error. One of the two, I'm not (laughs) sure, but that one was a huge tip that I did really love. Yeah. Those two things, if you remember those two things, you'll go a long way with the phone. And and then the fun, whenever possible, just kind of have the sun behind you. So, you know, because there's no there's no lens hood on these things. So any sort of sun cast kind of coming across the front of it or into the front of it is going to create sun flares. So if you can get to a spot where the sun's coming from behind you over your shoulder onto that horse or onto that rider in the ring, you're golden. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So I have one more kind of question about tips and stuff. So for <laughs> somebody that's starting off interested in kind of dabbling in photography as a hobby and everything else, where do you kind of, what direction, where do you tell them to kind of start? Uh, That's a great question because there's, there's so many factors that play, right? I mean, first and foremost, like there's budget, Um, you know, how much did you, you know, how much you're looking to spend on those sorts of things. Um, So again, so if you're looking at, you know, shooting horses over fences, we're going to need a telephoto lens. Um, There's just no two ways about it. So, you know, and there's some, you don't have to go crazy. There are some really good cameras and, and lenses out there at, at the consumer price point. Um, if there's one area I would suggest now more than anything else is to, is to really consider the mirrorless cameras. Mirrorless cameras have a completely different technology from, from traditional SLRs. But one of the greatest things about them is that once you identify the item, in this case, a moving horse and rider, that you want to be in focus, as long as you keep that horse and rider in the frame, will always be in focus. Oh, so that's awesome. It is tremendous. 
So if you've got that, and then you've got the ability to, you know, adjust your composite or composition by using the uh, the Zoom telephoto, you're laughing. Um, so yeah, definitely do that. And you know, they're not going to be cheap, but probably you can get into a camera. I would going to guess maybe around a seven or eight hundred dollar range Canadian that would have that type of feature. And then you might be looking at another couple hundred bucks for a lens. And of course, Black Friday, Boxing Day sales, you know, great opportunity yeah. to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you kind of put it on the list and see when it goes on sale because that's huge because my husband loves photography as long as same with my father-in-law and just what they do and everything else, even just as like amateurs like play with, like I pick up the camera and I'm like, it's not going the same for me. <laughs> so that kind of thing would be so much better. I would look like I fit in with them so much more. So that would be awesome. The other, the other great thing about the mirrorless cameras is when you're looking through them, you're looking at like a, an actual screen, like on your iPhone. So what yeah. it does is it mimics the exposure. So you know right away if you're, if you're overexposed or under. If I'm wrong or not, basically. And I don't take 25 pictures, and then he goes, no, we have to keep going. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> right, there you go. So the mirrorless cameras have really come a long way, and they really give a lot of uh, ability to people who are just starting. And, you know, because I think a lot of people move away from photography because they get frustrated. Yeah. And, you know, the, this technology is tremendous. And I know there's a, you know, there's a number of uh, good photographers up here who are starting to switch into that mirrorless mode. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and, and they just, they, they just love it. Yeah. They just love it. No, that's incredible. Thank you guys so much. Well, uh-huh. thank you guys so much for coming on and congrats as being spark winners and everything else. And we really yeah. appreciate all of your knowledge and everything else. And hopefully see you at a horse show soon. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having us. It was a lot of fun and uh, yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we'll but- catch you guys somewhere. Before we let you go, where can our listeners find more of your work? Because if you missed some of the photography that we featured for the Spark Awards, you should really check it out on their website. Yeah. Uh, Our website is www.spowerthome.ca. That's (laughs) S-P-W-A-R-T-H-O-L-M. Great. Well, thank you. All right, guys. So as someone who was a judge for the writing contest of the 2021 Hills Down Spark Awards, I'm really, really excited to introduce our winner, uh, who we have on the show with us tonight. It's Carla Parsons. She's a 45-year-old mom, a wife, and an inventor. And she won because she has a blog called Muddy Mayhem. And maybe you know it because it's hilarious. So (laughs) hi, Carla. Thank you for joining us. Oh, God, I can't. Can you just say the word winner again? Just one. Yes, you're the winner. You won, girl. You won. Oh, my God. Honestly, I cried when I found out I'd been shortlisted. So when I got the email and you asked me to come on, I was like, can you? I actually presented it to my husband. I went, can you just read this for me again? Because I think I've got it wrong. And he read it. He went, no, you have actually won. And there was tears and snot and everything. And it was just, oh. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, it was well-deserved as someone who, who read all the entries. Oh my gosh, what you've created with Money Mayhem, it's hilarious. Oh my, I laughed. I laughed at all of your <laughs> entries. It was great. Um, oh, thank and you. 
sort of in that same vein. So you, when we called you, um, we just got started <laughs> on the episode. You were telling us a story about how you gave yourself a black eye today, and I feel like that is the perfect place to start. <laughs> no, so my, I, I came in and I said, I don't believe what I've just done. I've got this call tonight with these people, and uh, and I've just given myself a black eye. And my husband looked at me and went, Yes, you have. So I was tacking up, I, I, was, I was riding and I was doing up my girth and my hand slipped on the girth and I punched myself square in the face. <laughs> and it was just like this moment, I'm sitting there going, first of all, I just wanted to, I was just like trying to breathe because it really, really hurt. And I was like, please be okay, please be okay. And I got my phone up and I turned on the camera and I could just see this black spreading around my eye and I thought, oh no, this is horrific. But um, yeah, so okay, I don't know if anyone else has ever done that, but I gave myself a black eye doing up a girth. There were there were eight year old children out there doing like <laughs> flying changes, and I can't even do up a girth without giving myself a black eye. I mean, there's just no hope, is there? So you know, I'm watching the Olympics and seeing these wonderful dressage riders, and I'm thinking it's not going to happen, is it? Because you can't even tack up. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! So I have to ask: Do you consider yourself? a writer or an artist or maybe a comedian? Do you consider yourself more one than the other? Or all? Do you know something? Before I entered this, I'd never considered myself anything like that. Um, It's really weird because last year, well, actually, no, it was the year before because last year everything got cancelled, didn't it? Uh, The year before, I got invited to the British Equestrian Writers Association and dinner And I was sat in this room with all these wonderful people, these journalists and stuff. And I had the worst imposter syndrome you've ever had in your life. I was sat there thinking, what am I doing here? I've got no place here. I I write swear words and draw stupid drawings on the internet. I should not be in this room with these people. And I was just, and um, it actually transpired that when I got shortlisted and then won, I suddenly, it had this moment of clarity. I was like, maybe I can write, you know, maybe those silly things. Cause I write everything I write, I put on my blog, on my notes and my phone. I don't even own a laptop. I literally do pretty much everything on my phone. So I kind of think to myself, maybe I should get myself a laptop. Maybe I should maybe think of myself as a writer. I don't know, maybe even write a book. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't think I'm, I don't think I've got a label as such what I do. Is that You just that do sense? you? You just do you. And and that's how it started. That's how it started. I did initially, um, I entered a competition to, um, it was a sponsorship competition for a company uh, in the UK and they wanted a blogger that would blog every month. And uh, I entered it and I didn't get very far. So I contacted them. I just said, could you just tell me where I'm going wrong? Because I really enjoy writing. I love writing. I love it. And they just said, oh, we just don't think you connect to the reader. And I was really upset by this. And I, then I sat and I read it and I thought, do you know what? They're bloody right. I don't connect to the reader. This isn't what I'm putting out there. Isn't how I speak. It isn't how I live my life. It's all very much, I did this, I did that, I did that. It's all a bit bland. And so I sat down that afternoon and I wrote on my notes on my phone a post taking the mickey out of me being a mum and trying to do horses and um, I put it on the internet, and yeah, that just went a little bit crazy. And, and so, that, what made you name it? What made you name it Muddy Mayhem? Because okay, I'm so, assuming that's how it started with the Muddy Mayhem. Yeah, yeah. So um, we bought 
a field, well, a couple of fields a few years ago. So my husband's not horsey and uh, for his sins, he married me, um, which isn't great for him really because we've now got three horses. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, so we had to find somewhere for these horses to go. So we bought three fields in Suffolk and we decided to try and build a house on these fields in Suffolk. And do you guys have clay soil? Do you know what clay soil is? Oh, yeah. So if we'd known what we know now, we wouldn't have bought these three fields in Suffolk because it's clay soil. <laughs> it is like knee deep. Um, and we obviously had nowhere to build these. Uh, we hadn't started building the house. We were living in a mobile home and uh, we were knee deep in mud. I've got two incredibly feral children who are lovely and I love them to bits, <laughs> but they are just a little bit feral. And I then acquired Vince, this horse that wouldn't stay in a field. So basically, I was waking up in the morning and this horse was free range on these fields. And we were plowing through mud and my kids were hitting each other and weeing in brush bushes and just doing what children do. And I was just like, this is just mayhem and mud. So initially, it was actually mayhem and mud. And then it switched to muddy mayhem. And that's just how it came about. <laughs> that is true so to life. Funny. <laughs> it is money, ma'am. I mean, I feel like that's my life a lot of days. Oh, God, a lot of days, it? I feel like I'm being pulled in 12 different directions. Oh. And so I totally get it. And so how is since Muddy Mayhem grown? Like, what has the project grown to be like now since when you started so many years ago? Uh, it's only been going, actually, I think it's three, three and a half years, I think it's been going now. Um, and in that time, obviously some amazing opportunities have come out for me for me like I said I got invited to the British Equestrian Rights Association this has happened I mean I'm talking to people in America for my little <laughs> for my little room in Suffolk how crazy is that I mean it is just mind-blowing um and do you know what I love the most I love it most when I'm out and about now that people sort of recognize me a little bit more and people say do you know something you wrote such and such and thank you for writing that because I didn't realize that I was wasn't the only one that felt that way I didn't realize that you know you can feel like you've got self-doubt but you can still push and want to do things um and it's that that is what really gets me every single time I just get so that is when I really I'm so proud of it because that's why I started it I felt a bit lonely and then people genuinely just I don't know they seem to enjoy it and knowing that people enjoy it is just that just gives me the biggest buzz. Just oh, I could write all day if I know that someone's enjoying it afterwards. So was the reception like that initially? Mm, yeah, uh, I was really lucky with it that I um, it was at the first sort of post was on Mother's around Mother's Day in the UK, which is different in the US. It's a different time of year, and um, I'd written this post and I was about to stick it on the internet, and I thought, oh God, it needs a picture. So I took a picture of myself about to go and do the school run, dressed as most horse mums are when they do the school run, which is not glamorous. All the other mums are there with their makeup on, you know, looking really great with their cuts from Starbucks. <laughs> and you rock up with a bit of straw in your hair, don't you? And like covered in mud and a little bit smelly. And uh, so I took this picture and I labelled it. Uh, just saying this is a mum on the school run, uh, straw and hay, makeup, are you joking? gilet with pony nuts in the pocket and things like that and um put it with this post and 
yeah, that it went that went really crazy. But of course, that was like the first post, and obviously, it had my face on it. So yeah, the reception from that was really good. Um, and then I did the um, Muddy Mayhem guides, um, which was the guide to the event, uh, the dressage rider, the show jumper. I did a series of those, and the funniest thing of that was um, a friend of mine actually sent my first one which was the guide to the event to me and said oh I think you'd enjoy this and I was like I wrote it back I said um, I actually wrote it but thanks I, I'm, I'm really pleased that you that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when you say I'm glad that it related to me because I was being myself because that yeah. was me all day long absolutely absolutely yeah and I just think that um if I can't be myself that's why initially I drew the cartoons uh, because I was a little bit frightened because uh, I didn't want, I, I had this immediate response to the, the Mother's Day one, which had my face on it. And I was a little bit frightened by that. I was like, oh God, what if people don't like me? What if people don't like it? I, I can't cope with that, you know? So um, also my children, when they take photos of me, I don't know if I, your children are old enough to do that, but they, they've got this innate skill of taking the worst photos <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. So there'll be like a picture of just like my horse's tail. And I'll have jumped 120 and there'll just be a picture of my horse's tail. Um, so I decided I wasn't going to take that risk element out and also the risk of being recognised initially. So that's how the drawings came around. Turns out drawing horses are really hard. So that's why they, they were, <laughs> they, became, they became stick men and stick animals. Um, and uh, yeah, so that, yeah, yeah, that's how those came about. I just did, initially didn't want to be recognised from it um, until I realised that it was quite safe. It was quite a safe space. It's safe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, don't worry. My, my children decide, my oldest is three and a half and he still wow. chooses to like find the most amazing pictures. Like we find pictures on our phones of like us at dinner with our best friends. And I'm like, did anybody notice Hudson had a phone <laughs> and took pictures of all of us? I mean, like I was trying to find some the other day and I'm with them and I'm like, Rebecca, did you notice that Hudson had a phone? It must be Hudson, right? It wasn't the one-year-old, the two-year-old, right? Like the one and a half-year-old. She's like, I have no idea. She's like, there's lots of them though. And I'm like, they're the most, un she looks and she goes, you have to delete that. That was the most unflattering picture of me. I'm like, oh, because the one of me was much better. <laughs> <laughs> they'll just go like your chin, won't they? Like at an angle that you don't even realize your chin could go at. You're like, how is it? 100%. Like, I didn't even know my nose and face looked like that from that angle. Like, were you <laughs> underneath my shoes and taking a picture yeah. upwards? Yeah. Like, where it's were crazy. you? And I and, missed this. And they take about a thousand of them. Like, oh, you that's, go to do something else, and you're like, that's when you find them because there's like 2,000 pictures and you're like, wow, where did those pictures come from? And they're <laughs> awful looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah, my yes. kids have a, my kids have an innate skill of it. Um, I was telling a story recently about the fact that last year um, I, I go to a really great show jumping trainer and he pushes me quite hard with my show jumping. And um, I jumped this course. I, I took my my youngest one, uh, and I said, "Can, can you please film mummy while I'm while I'm jumping?" He's like, "Yeah, of course." He went, "But it will cost you." So um, I, I <laughs> so I, I handed over five pounds for this um, this this event, shall we say? And I went and had this lesson and jumped a course of jumps, and I was so proud of myself because 
I didn't miss once and it was a course of really big jumps it was about you know it was about 120 and for me that's massive and I was so proud of myself and he said yes I've got it all on video mum and I was so pleased and I watched the first initial few seconds of this video and he did have it on video and I was I'm going to put this on the internet and everyone's going to see that I'm a brilliant rider what actually happened was he got the first three seconds which was me approaching the first fence and then he filmed my trainer's dog for the next minute and a half <laughs> Um, <laughs> and I would mind the dog was asleep. So uh, I was like, why, why? Yeah. So yeah, I got um, uh, three seconds of me approaching a fence and a minute and a half of a dog. So yeah, didn't go well, didn't go well. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm loving these stories. Also as someone who doesn't have kids, I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. oh yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. It's just, um, yeah, kids and horses. It's it's an interesting combination, definitely. Hence the mayhem. Hence the mayhem in my life. Oh my gosh! Well, Carla, so where can our listeners find Muddy Mayhem if they wanna they wanna follow you and start reading? Okay, so um, predominantly it's on Facebook. So it's uh, facebook.com forward slash Muddy Mayhem One. Don't forget the one. It otherwise you end up on a really random site where people run through mud. There's these a series of races. <laughs> that people, I, occasionally, I, I honestly, I swear, there's another muddy mayhem. But these people are far more organised than I am with stuff. Um, they occasionally I get a message going, where where can I find the entries to enter your race in? I don't know, Salford. And being the person that I am, I feel the need to find out for them. So I actually Google it and then I reply. I don't Aww. just say, oh, you've got the wrong site. I also say, well, maybe you should try here. Um, so yeah, it's Muddy Mayhem 1. Um, I also am on Instagram, which is Muddy Mayhem 1 again. And for my sins, I also do a bit of TikTok. Oh. So my my eldest had TikTok and I thought I'd keep an eye on him and I got hopelessly addicted. Um, yeah, so I, I, I make daft videos on TikTok as well. Don't judge me. It's quite good fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm Muddy Mayhem on there as well. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's all just I just do it for fun. I don't do it for sponsorship or anything like that. Um, I, I do it for people to enjoy. That's all it's for. That's amazing. And Carla, it's been really great to have you on. I've I've laughed more than I've laughed all day. So thank you <laughs> oh, for joining thank you. us. And congratulations uh, again for winning. I love, can, can you just yes. can you say that? Can you say that W word? You won again. You won. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm so proud. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. So it's that time again. It's Rose and Thorn. Ellie, do you want to go first? Justine, or do you guys want me to go first? I can go. Okay. So I am super excited. So I, I have, I guess, two roses, but they both just come back to my horses or like, I don't give them enough credit because I always think that they're kind of feral because <laughs> they, I mean, because I, I don't ride as much as I used to because this whole like adulting thing and like paying my bills kind of sucks. So they get kind of put on the back burner, but I took Berkeley this past week to Saratoga horse shows up in Stillwater, New York. And we did some hunters. We did some jumpers. I got to ride with my coach from my childhood, which was awesome for me because I've taken, you know, like two lessons since I moved out <laughs> of my house. 
or my mom's house, I should say. So it was huge. And Berkeley was awesome. He pulled quite a few blue ribbons in the 90s. So I was super excited about that. And just, you know, I just had a really good time. Um, I mean, that's amazing. Ellie, you should be super proud. Yeah. Really happy with him. I just like he got off the trailer and he was just like, yeah, okay. Like he's been doing this his whole life. And I mean, he has been a long time. He hasn't been off property since I took him to one horse show to kind of get him off property again. But it's been it's been four years since I've been to a big venue and he didn't he didn't look at any jumps. He didn't care at all. He was just like, all right, let's go to work. And it was just, it was really fun and awesome. And my sister had her meter 15 debut and she actually got a second in a $2,500 classic. She was Amazing. nice yeah. here on her horse. So it was exciting to be able to be there and show with her again. And then I decided to do this crazy thing where I thought, yeah, I've been at a horse show for a week. I'm going to come back and take my five-year-old definitely kind of feral quarter horse to a clinic for the next two days. Um, (laughs) which, so I hadn't ridden him in a month and I put him on the trailer and I was like, all right, we're going to go to this clinic. And the first two circles of loping were mostly up and down. We were crow hopping (laughs) (laughs) like, Oh, lovely. But I mean, he wasn't ever dangerous or anything like that. Just kind of a goofball, but I was super happy with him because he went out and he did the same thing. And we had the second part of it today and he just, he was a superstar and we lessened, or excuse me, we clinic with a uh, less boat who you guys probably don't know him because he's in the Western world, but he's a 15 time, uh, rain cow horse and, uh, reigning horse champion. So he, he knows his stuff when it comes to, when it comes to horses. So, and it was nice to lesson with him and kind of get some, some validation because, you know, Western is my second discipline and Q I'm the only person who's ever sat on his back. So I've done everything by myself and, you know, it's all been new. So I'm really happy to, to get some stuff to work on because there's definitely a lot there, but also to get some, some validation that I, I didn't completely screw him up. So that's good then my thorn would be that I am exhausted. (laughs) Um, Just like, and there's so much stuff I have to do now, right? I have to like vacuum my whole house and I'm grateful to Matt for taking care of the herd while I've been gone. But, oh man, I just want to sleep for like three days, like the horse show hangover and then straight into clinic hangover. And then I am probably going to drink a lot tonight. So then probably real hangover. (laughs) So <laughs> your three stages of, you know, yeah. Coming out of a horse show, huh? Right. So anyway, I'm exhausted, but like have had a great horse week. Um, just super proud of my horses. So yeah. What about you guys? Well, I can go next. Okay. So my rose would be that one, obviously I'm like, I think everybody knows super, super proud that Doug had an amazing Olympics and Went in there and Quinn and him were honestly like incredible in all three phases. Like, yes, you'd want everything to be a little bit better, but at the end of the day, like every time I talked to him at night, I'm like, I couldn't be more proud with you. Like the horse did an amazing job. They did a great dressage. 
they did an amazing, yeah, maybe you don't want as much time cross country and maybe the rail, but like at the end of the day, they were awesome at the Olympics and they ended up being the highest place Americans. So for their first it was amazing to watch. Out, they were awesome. Yeah. So it was, it so was cool. super, super proud of them. I was fangirling so hard. Oh my God. It was awesome. They were (laughs) so good. Oh my gosh. But I have to take a half second to brag even more is because this past week we were at Tryon. It was a slow week. There weren't very many horses. So we kind of, they, they were still built to standard, like the welcome and the Grand Prix, but they weren't like, sometimes you walk. Yes. A Grand Prix can be like maxed out huge, super technical, super hard, or it can be just like a soft one. And this time of year with not that many, they did a great kind of good track and everything else. And Quincy was incredible. He was awesome. But Quantum, our event horse who we bought as a wean lane was incredible, jumped in the welcome 135 and it looked like it was nothing. And so he jumps 130 or shows 135. So like that wasn't a big deal. But I was like, Doug, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I really think if it's only a hole or two bigger, he should jump in the Grand Prix. And he's like, I was kind of thinking the same. It was like not difficult for him. And so, you know, we asked and I was like, why don't we just enter him? And if it looks too big, we could always scratch. So he walks the course. He's like, it actually looks like really like good for him. It's that good. It's like the track that would suit him type thing. And it's in a big arena, which is better for him. And he goes and he jumps around amazing in his first Grand Prix and he had one down in the in and out. And I'm like, who cares? He was so good. Like, if, and he won the welcome and then was sixth in the Grand Prix. So it was like, so, so good. So yes, the Olympics was amazing and I was super proud, but I have to give a huge shout out to baby quantum because he stepped up and did his first Grand Prix. Oh, that's so cool. So that was super fun. And then my thorn is... Everything's been good here, but I have a really good friend that's horses battling really bad cellulitis. And so it's just been really kind of hard for her. And like, it's got swelling and they can't get the swelling down and it's at UGA. And so that's kind of, yeah, it's like one of the worst cases they've ever seen. And so it's just super, super bad. So not necessarily like my thorn, but I just, my heart aches for her because she's just trying to deal with that. And it's sad, you know, when your horse is like not doing well and it's, I don't know, it's frustrating for her. So I feel really bad for her. So that's my thorn for sure. Oh, well, fingers crossed that gets better. Fingers soon. crossed. Yeah. He's yeah. starting to look on the up and up. So okay, she competed our event horse this weekend. So it's still at the clinic and stuff at UGA. And so hopefully it's like on the upswing and she can have a good week on her mare. And then Brad will be much better for the week. So hopefully that's kind of on the up and up, hopefully. Okay. So fingers crossed. All right. What about you? I'll start with my thorn. Ellie, you might commiserate with this, but I have finally finished watching Heartland. I've run out of episodes. I've watched all of them. So (laughs) I don't know how long, how long has it been? Like, I don't know how quickly I went through all of it, but I am officially done. I don't, I hit like, I feel like by like season six, I hit my stride and was just cruising through them. From just, kept just kept going. Yeah. I was going. like, I'm too far. I can't stop now. I just got to do it. But now I'm, now I miss it. I'm like, what do I do? What do I, 
<laughs> my my husband was like, he would come home from work and I'd still be working because I work from home. And I'd be on my couch, like with the laptop on my lap and just I'd have Heartland on in the background <laughs> all day, you know. So, and so now yeah. he doesn't know what to do. It's off. So he's like, what's happening? Yeah. I mean, I think he was a little concerned for my mental health that I was watching so much Heartland at one point, but. <laughs> or he just but, got used to it. So it was totally fine. He was, yeah, he definitely got used to it. Like he knew all the characters' names and stuff like that. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. So much, but yeah, now it's over and I don't know what to do. So I've been converted. Like when I said, meh, whatever before. Nope. I watched the whole thing. So it is, it's part of who I am now. So. <laughs> It's addictive. It got me. It got me. So, yeah. That's my thorn. No more Heartland. I'll send you some new binge options. And then my rose is... Gosh, I can't remember the last time we taped an episode, but I think I went to WEC sometime between last time and this time, right? Yes, you did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was super amazing. to WEC. Yeah. Yeah. No, we had like a super amazing time. So the hotel was like so nice. Oh my gosh. Like my husband was like, why, why can't all horse shows be like this? You know? And Michael really rose to the occasion and we had a really good outing with nice, you know, top three ribbons. I couldn't have been happier with them. And we did the three foot derby, like for real. I put the shad belly on and everything. Like I was doing it for real. And it was, it was just such a cool experience. And I did it by myself. Like no one from my farm came. I didn't have a trainer. I was just me and my horse and my husband and kids I knew from my previous barn who were just excited to see the property came to, you know, and I had friends who came and watched and it was sort of like like a throwback moment to before I moved to my current barn where I horse showed by myself all the time. So which makes it harder in a lot of ways for sure. But also like I was proud of myself that I could go to a horse show at that level and still feel confident to trust my own instincts and do what I thought was right to prepare myself and, and still feel like I rode, like I felt like I rode some of the best hunt arounds I've ever ridden on this horse, you know? So we had a really good time. It was a nice, a nice like big horse show to kind of end our quote unquote season for now. Cause now we, we go into summer hibernation until October, but yeah, we had a really awesome time. And I would definitely say that WEC lives up to the hype for sure. It's it, super it's, cool. It's pretty yeah. awesome. It, it is really nice. It's crazy. Air conditioning. I'm not going to lie. makes all the difference. Right. <laughs> so, we told you, you were worried about nothing. I know. Remember I was such a spaz. My poor husband had to deal with, because I was like an obnoxious person to have to live with, like leading up to the horse show. But then we got there and Mikey was like, whatever, just hold on, you know, and just did his job. Cause he's a good boy. <laughs> and then it was all good though. He did give me a scare. I'm not going to lie. We like, he's just such like one of those geldings that he's just like pro- chronically prone to stupid things happening to him. So I always trot him in hand before I ever put him in the trailer to go anywhere. So like we're getting ready to leave on Tuesday. The trailer is all packed and I trot him and he looks a little off and I'm like, no way. No, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I know. I'm like, no way. And my trainer was there and she watched me trot him. And she was like, don't freak out. <laughs> Everything's okay. Just, He'll be fine. Just put him on the trailer. Maybe lunge him when you get there and see what he looks like. So we get there. But of course, it's in the back of your head the whole time, right? Yeah, you know? you're terrified. I'm like, I spent all this damn money. And we're yeah. going to get there. And then he's going to get to live in a stall for a week, you know. But so 
So we get there and I put him on the lunge line and he took like one or two weird steps, but then was normal. And then he was fine the rest of the time. So I don't know what he did or I have no idea, but it ended up being fine. He's sound. He's normal. But just leave it to Mikey to like have that panic attack. Or just has to make you like just stay on your toes. Exactly. God, it was like definitely a brief moment of like pure panic, though, you know, but yeah. (laughs) All right. So we've got a mailbag from Veronica who posted this in our Facebook group. And I was wondering if either of you guys had any insight for her. So she wants to know, have you ever purchased a horse sight unseen, either through like a normal ad you saw somewhere or through like an auction, like a sport horse auction? And if you have, do you have any tips? So I'll go first. So yes, we've bought off video from Europe and a couple other places, honestly. And so I would say, be careful doing it. Like know what the horse is. So we bought unbroke horses. So we were just looking at their jump and we've looked at a lot of free jump videos and like how they move and what we want to look in particular horses, what we think is going to suit us the best. And so I think we're a little bit more comfortable in the sense that like we pick about like how they move, how they stop, how they trot. Are they heavy on their forehand when they land? Are they light? Like how they're using their body, like that we watch it quite a bit, that that's kind of what we're comfortable with our type and what we want. And so I would say it's still risky and it's still, you know, something that we're like, okay, it is a risk quite a bit. So we've done it, but it's something that I try that even if I'm buying it off the video, I hopefully know somebody on the back end of it that can say, so like we bought one of the girls horses that works for us and bought it as a three-year-old several years ago. And she wanted to buy something at the auction and didn't get the price she wanted for the one. So we contacted somebody else and said, Hey, we're looking for something that needs to be amateur friendly. It's got to be, be able to produce by a young rider type person. And so we were able to buy off a video as well, but we had somebody on the backside that we trusted saying, yes, the source is so quiet, like your grandma can get on it and break it because it was unbroke and it couldn't be feisty and it couldn't be that. So it's not something that you can go look at that you have somebody on the backside that you can trust or that somebody else has trusted that you trust in order to say, look, yes, this seems to be a good fit for X, Y, and Z. If not, then I try to at least, if all possible, go try to sit on it for a hot second. That's good advice. Ellie, have you ever bought anything sight unseen? No. Well, my dog, but that's going <laughs> to, I rescued my dog sight unseen, but no, I, that's going to be a hard no from me. I think with Jess, she's a lot more, her and Doug are a lot more well known in the industry and for what they're looking for. But, you know, regular Joe Schmo says, Hey, I want to buy your horse. I mean, people lie I'm, all the time. Yeah. Exactly. I'm super afraid. I mean, I, I hate to say no because we've done it, but I'm with Ellie. Like it terrifies me a little bit. I mean, cause here's and I'm thing. not saying that it won't work out and it might be the perf one, but like, if you're at all able to go look at it, please do, or find something that you can go. Because even if Ellie called me and was like, Hey Jess, like, I'm not going to lie to Ellie. Like I love Ellie, but if she called me and was like, Hey, look, I'm looking for this for myself. And I'm like, hey, I think this is going to be the right fit. 
if I can't have her come ride it, because I've not seen her enough riding, I'm not sure it would be, not that I'm trying to deceive her or anything else, but it's just I'm not comfortable with knowing her ins and outs of what she likes and loves. Exactly. And hates, yeah. for that matter. And I feel like, it, yeah, it's you're, you have to be ready to assume a risk if, you're, if you can yeah. do that, you know? So what is your backup plan if you buy this horse sight on scene based on a video and it arrives at your farm and it is not what you it's thought not it was. It. What is your yeah. plan? I feel like you have to be willing to be flexible if you're if you're gonna do that. I think right. and huge. I think it comes back to like especially with the Facebook nowadays, to ugh, just people so many people and some people do it maliciously and some people don't, but it, you've gotta you've gotta check your your sources. I mean, so many yeah. people you know, sell you one thing when they said it was another thing. Sometimes you get it off the trailer and it's, you know, emaciated and not even the right color. Doesn't even look like this. Yeah. Yeah. So it's got three legs instead of four. You laugh, but just, you know, somebody it's happened to. I, no, I laugh (laughs) in terror actually. So that sounds like it's ridiculous, but it's so sad. Yeah. And it's, and it's, you know, unfortunately it's a really, you know, gross part of the industry. So if you don't know who you are buying from personally, yeah, go see the horse. Even if you don't yeah. sit on the horse, go, go look at see it. the horse because a plane ticket to wherever you're buying the horse from is going to be cheaper than crazy vet bills when it comes with three legs instead of four. Right. Right. I will say that 100%. I feel like most reputable sport horse auctions, be it in Europe or oh yes, or here, you're not going to deal with that. You're going to have oh oh for some sure yeah too. But if you're yeah, if you're looking for like some private person, but a lot of those video, auctions will allow you to come see it and sit on it first. My sister's horse actually came through. I mean, we didn't buy him specifically from the auction, but we bought him from the person who bought him from the auction and it's the Ontario production sale in Canada. And I mean, I know they're reputable because my friend used to break horses for them. Actually, the person who broke Berkeley. So, yeah, I mean, like reputable auctions. Absolutely. You know, but I think also once you get into the I don't want to say lower caliber of horses, but lower budget ranges, you're going to get into the brokers who are just trying to make fast money. Get it gone. Yeah. And you're, you're, it's so easy to get raked on those. So if you have a question and you want us to answer it on air, you can always send us an email by going to hello at heelsdownmedia.com. Or you can post in our Facebook group, which is the Heels Down Happy Hour Podcast Lounge. And if you want to hear more from us, you should subscribe to the Heels Down Spark. You'll get to meet more of our finalists and award winners for the Heels Down Spark Awards that are still happening now. And you can sign up for that by going to bit.ly slash spark by HD. I want to say thank you to our partner this week, EcoGold. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers.